Uh, we've been in the book of Habakkuk. It's a prophet with the name that sounds like something stuck in your throat, you know. And uh, we've been talking about how it's kind of unique in the fact that Habakkuk is us listening to this guy talk to God and kind of express himself to God. And a lot of times the prophets are just a mechanism through which God is speaking and, and we hear that and we hear God speaking through his prophets and, and those are great and wonderful things. But a lot of the things that are unique about Habakkuk is the fact that this is a guy that's talking to God and we get to hear kind of his heart and where he's coming from and how he feels. And, and, and God does respond to him. God answers him. But I just like the fact that it's so raw, so real, and, and we're just hearing a guy pour out his heart to God because what's happening in the nation of Israel at this point in time is they're, they're evil. They're just, they're, they're losing their minds. They're being stupid. They're doing stuff they shouldn't do. Um, they, they're, they're, they're worshiping themselves. They're worshiping other idols. They're just being selfish in so many ways. And Habakkuk is just kind of fed up, and he's like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Uh, I, I don't understand God, what's going on, you know? And he's just open and honest about that. And I know sometimes in my life I get like, like that. God, where are you? What are you doing? I don't get it. Uh, I need you to give me some kind of clue as to what's going on here because I really don't see your presence. I really don't see you working right now, and I don't understand. I just don't understand. And sometimes it's okay to go to God and say, I don't understand. Sometimes it's okay to just say, God, I, I'm frustrated I, I, I'm mad. I don't know what's going on. I, I feel like I'm hurting. I don't even know why I'm hurting sometimes. I just know that I hurt. And God, I, I just, I don't know what's going on. I, I told you last week that, that man, you got to have that communication line open with God. When you stop talking to him, that's when you got a problem. When you shut down and, and you're not being open and honest with him, when you, when you shut down and say, I'm not talking to God anymore, that's when you have a problem. It's not when you're, you're so honest and raw with God and you're like, hey, God, I'm frustrated with the world right now. I'm even frustrated with how I don't see you working in the world right now. I, it's much better for you to do that than it is to shut down completely and say, I'm done. Because that's, what people get, that's the place people get to a lot of times. When we, we first come to salvation in Christ, we have this very connected relationship with God and we are, we've been forgiven of our sins and... And man, we feel like we're walking on cloud nine. You know, we're just way up here. We're on this spiritual high because we recognize who we are and we recognize who God is and we've been forgiven of our sins and we have been set free. So it's like a prisoner running free. Like he's, he's been set free of his chains. He's outside the jail and he is just running, you know? And, and that's the way you feel. Well, well, and you come to church and you're like, man, these people are full of love and they are full of awesomeness and I just want to be around these people all the time and... And I think we should have a commune and we should all come together and live together and, and raise turnips and, and we should have canned food. And like, you know, we have this, like, this is the, the greatest thing in the world. And then what happens? Well, life happens, right? Life happens and things go on and you realize that, you know what? Church people, you know what they are? They're just sinners saved by grace. Uh, church is a place for sinners. You ask what church is a place for. It's a place for sinners. We come in here. We just recognize that we need Jesus. That's the only thing that separates us. We have selfish motivations. We do stupid stuff too. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and they're doing stupid stuff. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm just telling you that, that sometimes that we get on that spiritual high, and then we come down from that spiritual high, and then we shut down, and that's not the right way to respond. At least here we get a picture of a dude who's a prophet of God, and he's just being honest with God. God, the people of Israel, they're doing stupid stuff, and they're acting ridiculous, and they're being evil. 
And, and just where are you, God? What are you doing? And then God answers. Well, that's the way our prayers go, right? We ask, God answers right away, right? God answers Habakkuk and says this. He says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something, but you're not going to like the way that I do it. Oh, good. That's the answer I was looking for. Because I tell you what, in my prayers, a lot of times, my prayers, because they're incredibly selfish, I, I, I ask God for stuff more often than I'm thankful for things I have. And because I, I do things in a human way and I'm not very smart, um, you know, I, I, have, I go into my prayer life sometimes with a preconceived idea about how God's supposed to handle a situation as opposed to going in purely in faith and saying, God, this is the situation, handle it and your will be done, whatever that is. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't necessarily pray that way all the time. But God answers Habakkuk and says, hey, I'm going to do something and you're not going to like it, in case you're wondering. He says in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people that will march across the world and conquer other lands. He says, I got an answer for you, Habakkuk. You want to know how I'm going to straighten the nation of Israel out? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to crush them with the Babylonians. You know those wicked, awful people that do all kinds of terrible things and like they sacrifice children to their gods and set them on fire and all that kind of bad stuff that the Babylonians do? He said, I'm going to take those people and they're going to conquer your people and that's going to be the way that I'm going to handle this. I don't think we would like that, would we? Uh, but you know what? God is constantly at work even when we think that he's not at work, even when bad things happen, even when tragedy strikes and, and 911 comes and, and planes are crashing into buildings, God is still at work and he's still using those things. Am I saying that God made planes crash into those buildings? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that evil, it, it rules in this world and it comes into this world, but God is even able to take evil and use it for good. And he does that all the time. He even takes death and uses it for good. We, we look at death and we think, man, that is the worst thing that could possibly happen. That's the worst, worst, worst thing. You know what's the worst thing that could happen is somebody to face death apart from Jesus Christ. That's actually the worst thing. Death is not the worst thing. Eternal hell is the worst thing. But you know what? God took death and he used that for good. He did that on the cross. He did it on the cross with Jesus Christ. He said, he said you thought death was the end. But as it turns out, death does not get the final say. I get the final say. And when it's done is when I say it is done. God even took death and used it for good. So here, we've got Habakkuk being open and raw and honest with God and talking about how he feels. And God says, hey, Habakkuk, it's not going to go down like you think it's going to go down. And I, and I know maybe that's not an encouraging word to you today. Maybe you're like, man, I already had an idea how I really wanted God to answer this prayer, and now Kenny's telling me it doesn't always work out like that, and, and man, I really wanted to feel encouraged today, and you know why you can feel encouraged? It's because God is faithful, God is always working, and God is always in control, and he's way, way smarter than we are. He is way, way smarter than we are, and what he is doing what he is doing is it's for our good, whether we like it or not, it's for our good and his glory, and we just have to trust it. Just trust and obey. That's what the old song says, right? 
So that's the place that we're in right now. And, and he, is, he has just given Habakkuk this word that, that this is what's going to happen. And, and Habakkuk is basically in the waiting room now. Um, nobody likes the waiting room. If you've ever been to a doctor's office, you don't like the waiting room. Can I tell you a two-minute waiting room story that I suffered immensely? Um, it was the curses of hell had come against me at the Department of Motor Vehicles. So I wanted to share this with you. Um, we had tags that had expired, and, and we got in a new vehicle, so we needed to get a new tag and transfer an old tag to a new car and blah, 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 right? So a lot of this stuff was going on. It happened during COVID-19, and, and everything's on lockdown, and nobody's working in the government, right? So, so I go down to the, to the Talladega court office where I have to handle stuff because I live in Talladega County. So I'm down there, and, and, and there's a line. There's two lines. One line is for the people who just need to renew tags, and they're going up to some window that they got cracked open where they're handing out renewals, right? So... That's not the line I could get in because I'm not just doing a renewal. I'm doing a transfer of a tag, and i got to do a title application, all this kind of garbage, right? So I have to get in the other line. Well, the other line is 450 miles long, okay, to begin with. And I think I can do this. It's okay. You know, it, it's a line, you know. It's a beautiful day outside. There is no lightning. There is no thunder. It's fine, right? So I get in this line, and, and, and I'm basically standing in Arkansas trying to get up to to the door, and, 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 I, and, and the worst part about this particular line for me was listening to the crazies talk in the line. You know what I mean? You ever been in that line? Yeah. And, and so I'm just sitting there. I'm trying to be a, a good Christian dude. I'm just like standing there, and I, you know, and, and they're going to make me wear a mask, by the way. That's, that's to go in the building. I already know they're going to make me a, a mask. So I got, I got my mask in my back pocket, you know, and I'm standing there, and and the crazies are talking in front and behind me and all this kind of stuff. And they're just, you know, talking about COVID and they're talking about the government and they're talking about conspiracies and they're talking about China. And I mean, like, it's just, it's just all kind of stuff. All over. And I'm just sitting there listening, you know. And, and I, I start looking. I was like, man, I've been in this line a while. I, I figured, you know, a decent line at, at the courthouse would take maybe a couple of hours or whatever. Two and a half hours into it, and I was about halfway through the line, and I'm like looking around going, I, I, I think I may die in this line. I think this may be the end of Kenny right here in the line outside the courthouse. And, 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 and they're still talking and stuff's going on around. I finally get up to the little tent area, and I can see inside the building, right? I can see that, that there is hope. There, there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel, and it is the inside of the building. Well, much to my dismay is once I get up to the tent area that's just outside where you go into the building, I can see inside the building, and there is another line inside the building. Once you get through this line, there is another line that you get into because I was at the end of what I thought was the, the hope that existed in getting through this line, but it turns out that there was another line in front of that line. When I finally left... With my tag in hand, four and a half hours later, after standing in line to get a tag, um, I was completely exhausted. Um, I, I, was, I was ready for Jesus to return. I was like, I just, I, like, I, di I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to sleep. I just, I just wanted to lay down uh, and, and just, you know, like Elijah and, and just lay down and lay under a tree and, and say, God, just kill me. You know what I mean? Like, I, that's the point of exhaustion I was at. And, but, but I will say that that the line taught me a lot of things. One of those things was, was patience, right? Um, everybody in here likes to be taught patience. Am I, am I right about that? We love patience, right? We beg God to teach us patience. 
Um, God gives us these great opportunities to, to grow our patience because we know patience produces endurance. And if we embrace that endurance and let it work itself to completion, then we will be complete, lacking nothing. That we will, we will be good, wholesome Christian people if we let patience work its power in our lives. It has great power in our lives, and we just beg God for patience, right? No, nobody does that. We know that it's, it's good for us. We don't like it. My patience came through waiting in this four-and-a-half-hour line. My patience came through dealing with the people that were asking me questions while we were in the line about things they knew nothing about. And it was just God was just growing my patience through this, this, this situation. And, and here um, we see Habakkuk in the waiting room. We see he's in the DMV line, right? So this is where he is with God. God says, I'm going to do this, and, and, and he's got to be patient. And then God goes on to tell him exactly what he's going to do, and he tells him how he's going to deal with the Babylonians, also called the Chaldeans in your Bible maybe, um, how he's going to deal with them, and he gives him a promise. But first, I want us to see Habakkuk in the waiting room, if you will, in Habakkuk chapter 2. It says this, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post, there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So here Habakkuk is, is going up in the watchtower. This is what I love about God's word because there's, there's something real about this here. He says he's going to wait, so he goes up into the watchtower. Now why do you go up into a watchtower? Why does the city have a watchtower to begin with? It's so they can see a little further down the road. They can be poised and ready to do something. Be still and know that I'm God. Actually, really what it means is to be placed in the stocks, in the starting blocks, like you're about to start a race, and be poised and be ready to go. And here, Habakkuk, what he is doing is he is being active in his waiting. He is going up into the watchtower to wait. He is on the lookout to see what God is doing, and he says, all right, God, I'm going to wait, but I'm going to be active in my waiting. And when God tells us to wait, we're to be active in our waiting. It's producing this patience in us as we trust in God. See, that's the whole point with patience, right? A lot of people don't like to wait. A lot of people don't like to wait. And I've been keenly aware of that over the past several weeks. There's been rioting and looting and fires and all kinds of garbage, right? Okay, I, I get why people are upset. But the question I posed to everybody was, was like, are we responding the way God would have us to respond, or are we just doing what we want to do? And as Christians, we're supposed to be responding the way that God would have us to respond and doing the things that God would have us to do. And I don't believe that society should dictate how the church is supposed to react. I think God dictates how the church acts. I, I, I've been challenged this week, well, well, maybe the church should do this, or maybe the church should do that, or you, you know how I know what the church should do? It's based on what the Holy Spirit of God instills in my heart that we're supposed to do. It's not in response to whatever society is doing. Now, there are times, I will say, and this has happened in this church, where there are times where people are beha behaving the wrong way, and God will impress upon my heart that I'm supposed to address that in some way and talk about how Christians are supposed to respond. That does happen, but I am telling you right now that the, uh, this church will respond as the leadership of this church believes that we are supposed to respond. And as far as what I'm supposed to preach, that comes from God and from God alone. How we're supposed to, to, 
To, to deal with God, God's word comes from God alone. He's the one that instructs me. It's not society that instructs me. It is God who instructs me as to how we're supposed to look at God's word and what we're supposed to talk about in the context of a Sunday morning service. There's a lot of people that think society should dictate that, and that, I believe that that is you taking things into your own hands. And you're not trusting that faith in God and trusting that God's got an answer and God's got a way. That's instead saying, I know the answer. I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to make something happen. And that's the wrong way to respond. You know what you need to do? If you want to be active, be active in your waiting. Go up into your watchtower and be poised and ready to go when God says to go. What does that mean for us? How do we go up into our watchtower? How do we do that? How how do we, as as Christians, how do we go up into our watchtower to be poised and ready to go when God says to go? How are we supposed to do that? It's, It's actually pretty simple, but a lot of people don't do it. Be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Be in fellowship with other believers. Be studying God's word. Be connected in prayer. Be tuned into the Holy Spirit of God and be patient. That's how we be active in our waiting. Because a lot of people say, I want to do something, I want to do something. The same people that don't come to church but once every month. If you come to church once a month and you're like, hey, man, yeah, I'm really connected with God. When's the last time you read God's word? Well, it's been a little while. When's the last time you were really dependent upon the Holy Spirit as opposed to you taking matters into your own hands? Well, it's been a while. I'd rather jump on board and and be part of the fight, man. Let's go walk out in the streets and let's go raise up some cardboard. How about we just respond the way God would have us to and listen to the Holy Spirit and as God moves us and to do things. And, and when God calls you to do something, it will be done in love, by the way. It will not be done in hate. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that there is no room for personal vengeance. That is God's arena. We are supposed to be obedient to him and let God handle what he's going to handle. But we don't, we don't like to do that necessarily, do we? Because we want to be in control. Control is an illusion. Control is an illusion, and you are not in control. If you think that you're in control, all, all you have to do is, is look at your own death, and, and you can recognize that, you know what? God is really in control. God is really in control. We are supposed to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And as far as what I will speak about and and the direction of this church and those things, we will be under the authority of Jesus Christ, not under the authority of society. Bottom line. Will we mess up and not do things the right way? Sometimes. But we're going to do everything we can to be stay, stay connected to the Holy Spirit of God through prayer, through reading of his word, through following the leadership of the Holy Spirit so his voice is very loud in our ears. So we'll say, God, we're poised and we're ready to go when you say go. That's what we're going to do. And no amount of Facebook posts or or, or messages are going to change my view on that. We're going to stick with what God has has in store because he is in control. He is in control. Okay. So God does reply to Habakkuk. He gives Habakkuk a promise, basically, is what's going to happen here. Some of these things I will talk about, some of them I want. I don't really want to go into detail about a lot of these things, but just to say that he's got a plan for how he's going to deal with the Babylonians because Habakkuk is in his watchtower. He's waiting patiently on the Lord, and he will say, 
I'm going to see how God's going to respond to my complaint. The Lord said to me, write my plan plain, plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This is the vision for the future. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So, so here he's saying, all right, I want you to write down the answers. Write it down on a tablet so that people can scatter this message everywhere. Write it plainly. Write it simply. Thank you, simple church. Write it simply so that people can, can, can understand it and it's not too complicated for people to grasp. Write it down and, and, and we're going to disseminate this message and, and you, you're going to think that I'm slow, but it's going to be right on time. I'm get, it's going to be right on time because this is God's timing and he's the one that's in control. And because he can see everything past, present, and future all at the same time, he's a lot smarter than we are. He says, it won't be delayed. You'll think it may be delayed, but it will not be delayed. He says, I've got a plan. I've got a plan, Habakkuk. He goes on to talk about the Babylonians and how he's going to deal with the Babylonians long term, right? He talks about... He's going to talk about the characteristics of the Babylonians. I can't find any commentator that agrees with me on this, but I want to say something here, that I believe that when God is speaking to Habakkuk and he's talking to Habakkuk and the nation of Israel, he's trying to point out how evil the Babylonians are and how he's going to destroy them and how he's ultimately going to get the glory from, from what happens. But I think what he is also saying is he's, he's showing some of the problems that they may be suffering from in Israel as well, and he's trying to say, don't be like them. If you don't want to be destroyed, then, then don't be behaving like the Babylonians are behaving. And you may be pointing the finger at them, but really, there's a lot of the problem that's within you. We, we keep looking, we look somewhere else, and we point our finger somewhere else, and we want to talk about somebody else's sin all day long. Do you know how many times as a pastor... I have people come to me, which, which do you think is greater? The people that come to me to talk about somebody else's sin or the people that come to me to talk about their sin? Somebody else's sin, right? So-and-so wronged me. So-and-so hurt me. So-and-so did this. They did that. They did this and this and this. How about your sin? Where, where's your relationship with Christ? What is that, is that? Are you really connected with Jesus right now? Are you really walking with Jesus and, and, and really being connected with this Holy Spirit right now? Or do you just want to talk about how so-and-so isn't? People, and that's, that's the human side of us. I know that it is. We want to talk about everybody else. I think God is, is challenging the nation of Israel right now, and maybe he's challenging all of us right now as we look at his word. Thousands of years later, we look at his word and we see what he said, and, and maybe he's going, don't be like those people you got a problem with. Don't be like the enemy. If you don't want to be destroyed, if you don't want negative consequences to come your way, don't be like them. Now, I can't find any commentator that necessarily agree with me on that, but I think as we look at what God is saying to the people of Israel, I think you can kind of see that. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live, there, will live by their faithfulness to God. Now, notice he's, the first thing he does is put a contrast they're talking about, talking about the people whose lives are crooked, and he talks about the people who are, who are how they're living their lives the right way, and they live by the righteousness. They, they, live, they live righteously through their faith to God. 
So I think right there at the very beginning, we kind of see that he's putting a contrast between those that are wicked and those that are living by faith in God, and there's a difference there. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of believe that God is kind of pointing out, hey, if you don't want to be destroyed like the Babylonians, what's coming to them, maybe you should straighten up your act too. Wealth is treacherous and arrogant and arrogant are, are never at rest, and, and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. But soon, their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, what sorrows awaits you thieves? You will, now you will get what you deserve. You will become, you've become rich by extortion. How much longer can this go on? Suddenly, your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and, and take all you have. While you stand trembling and helpless because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. And he's talking about the Babylonians here, but he's also talking about how the nation of Israel shouldn't behave this way. That, that, that they can become just as selfish, they can be just, just as consumed with wealth. They see the Babylonians and, and how consumed they are with all of these things and and God's using that, I think, to challenge them about how they view these things. And are they doing the right things? Are, are they being selfish in their motivations? And, and I believe that God is showing them these things. He says, look, it, it, it's going to turn back on them. They're going to destroy themselves. And let me tell you something. This nation that we live in, the United States of America, as much as I love it, as much as I love it, if we become so self-absorbed and we become so... Uh, in our minds so privileged and, and we deserve this and we deserve that and we do not humble ourselves before the Lord and we don't recognize that what we deserve is absolutely nothing and we are grateful for everything that God has given us. If we don't do that, if we don't humble ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. That's exactly the way the Roman Empire felt, right? That's exactly how they failed. They actually became so good at everything, and, and man, they would conquer nations and do all of this stuff, and eventually what happened? They conquered themselves. They fell apart because of, of their selfishness, because of their pride, because of their, their arrogance, their egotism. All of that ended up causing their own collapse, and that's exactly what happens. I, I think that that's exactly what's going to happen to this nation if we do not humble ourselves. There's this entitlement attitude that is in our nation now, and it's because we're such a blessed nation. We have so much, and we're so rich as a nation. Man, we, we feel like we're entitled to so much, and that will ultimately be our demise. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? Now, notice he doesn't say if you got a big house. He says money gained dishonestly. How you go about obtaining that wealth is what's important. It's always about the heart behind the issue, right? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders you've committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. This is what he says. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool the way God kind of words this. He says, he says, you know all the things that you did to be able to gain this? He said, he said you're going to look around, and what you've built as a big house is going to become your prison. It's going to cry out with the aches and the pains and all of those things that you caused to be able to bring this about to be able to have this, to accumulate this, 
That's going to be your demise. That's what's going to haunt you day in and day out. Because that's what happens when you have dishonest gain, right? When you obtain something dishonestly, you look around and you go, man, I don't even want it anymore. I don't even want it anymore. I mean, if you're truly a person of God, if you're somebody that walks in, in, in faith with God, then you feel that way. Like, I, I can't, because I gained this dishonestly, because I gained it without integrity, I don't even want it anymore. It haunts me to look around and see it. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption, same thing with cities, has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain, for the, the waters fill the sea and the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. He's saying, it doesn't matter what you build. It doesn't matter how pretty your cities are. I can take it away like that. It can be gone in an instant. And my glory is all that will be left. So what you need to put your faith and hope in is my glory and not the stuff that you've built. I say, man, I'm glad I don't do that. Be careful we don't do that with a church building. Be careful that we don't humble ourselves and be thankful and not feel entitled to have the air conditioning that we have and the soft, cushy seats. I've seen so many times where people go, oh, man, somebody's sitting in my chair. Not in this church, in other churches. Because I told you, if you do that in this church, I'll take your chair outside. You'll have to watch online from your chair outside. Um, but I, I've seen that so many. We become so entitled and like, I, I mean, the, the question really boils down to this. is like, would you still be here and would you still be as committed in your faithfulness to Christ if we were meeting outside in the parking lot? Would you be willing to, to sweat it out outside, you know, if that's what it took so that you could hear the word of God? We are blessed and we are grateful the fact that we have this wonderful building to meet in. And we've got sound equipment and, and lights and, and a screen and all this kind of stuff. And man, we, we give thanks to God, but, but that's, that's not what we put our hope in. We put our hope in, in God and how he's revealed himself through this word. And that, that's what we lean into is his glory. Because we know when everything else is burned away, that's all that's going to remain. With sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk. You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shame and nakedness. But soon, it will be, uh, but soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come and drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. So here he's, he's just talking about how you, how you entice people to come in and be part of the evil things. Because that, that's what the Babylonians did, right? They enticed people to come and, and join their, their cult and their culture and, and be a part of what they were doing. He says, be careful you don't, you don't do the same thing. Have you ever known people in church that they do something they shouldn't be doing and then they'll try to get other people in the church to go do it with them? You ever known that to happen? Because it makes them feel better about whatever it is they're doing if they can drag other church folks in with them. Everybody's like, I don't know anybody like that. I've never heard of that, Kenny. Not, mm -mm. no. You cut down the forest of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed with the wild animals, so you destroyed the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled, with ta filled the towns with violence. He's just talking about how the fact that uh, Lebanon, all the, the trees of Lebanon were used to build 
the, the temple, and, and here the, the enemy had come down and cut down all the trees of Lebanon. He says, he says now you're going to be like them, talking about the Babylonians, but also saying this is something near and dear to the Israelite people, their temple. The forest of Babylon or of Lebanon supplied the, the, the beams for the temple. And here he's saying, he's saying something so precious like that. And if you turn your back on the real true God and you're doing these things that you shouldn't be doing, man, even the things that are most precious to you will begin to haunt you. What good is an idol carved by man or cast or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you to, who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but, they're, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. We have to be very cautious of idol worship, right? Idol worship is something that the Israelites fell into very often, and they got themselves wrapped up in worshiping other gods through idol worship. And God's saying, these idols are, are empty, and, and they don't produce anything. When you call on them, when you call on these empty idols, you know what they give you back? Nothing. Emptiness, because they are dead on the inside. The part that we as, as people have to be cautious of is our idol becomes ourself most often. All idol worship really boils down to self-worship. When people worship idols, they worship idols that man has created. Therefore, there is something about themselves that they like, so they made it into an idol and they worship that. Well, when you call on that idol, when you're in a time of trouble, when you're in a desperate situation, you know what you're going to get back? Nothing, nothing, because you're calling on yourself for the answers that you're asking yourself. You're not going to get the right answers. You're just going to get more selfishness, which is just going to push you further into idol worship. Do you see how it, it kind of stacks upon itself, repeats itself? You get in this circular thing of, of, I'm looking for an answer, God. And God's asking the question, well, who are you worshiping then? Who is your life laid down before? Is it laid down before me or is it laid down before yourself? I think that so often in our lives we, we look at, at God's word and we say, man, this is really, it's really good stuff and it's really powerful. And man, I, I really, really like the way that sounds. I really like the way that that, that looks when we put it in a biblical context. But then when it comes down to us and we're forced to look at our sin and our lives and the places that we're in, the things that we've done, what we've actually been worshiping, how connected we've really been with God, we tend to lay that to the side. Well, let me tell you something. When difficult situations come, and they will come, struggles will come, heartache will come, brokenness will come, death will come, you're going to be challenged with the question, about who it is you trust with the answers. You can be challenged with a question about who it is that, that you're really leaning into for the answers that you so desperately need. If you've been leaning into yourself, you will provide the answers, but you will always provide the wrong answers. You will always provide the wrong answers. I, I, let me put it in a, in a little bit 
tighter context for you when it comes to uh, students that are going into college. My daughter is about to go into college this fall, and, and she's heard me say this a thousand times, so I'll say it again. That's what preachers do. But in this time in your life when, when you're on the verge of going into the rest of your life, it's this college time, right? There's all kinds of statistics around how, how college students step away from their faith, like a large percentage. Some say 80%, some say 90%. I think it's probably closer to 100%. There's just a lot to step away from their faith when it comes down to, to time to go into college, right? And in college, they kind of say, you know what, I'll figure this Jesus thing out later. I'll, I'll deal with this, this Jesus stuff later. I know what I heard when I was little, and that was all great and fine when my parents were dragging me to church, but, but, but now I'm doing my own thing, and I don't really need that as part of my life. That's the time at which you most need Jesus. That's the time at which you're deciding your future career, the path God has for you. For a lot of people, it's when, when they're coming close to, to marrying somebody or having having a family with somebody that's the time when you most need to be connected with Jesus and his Holy Spirit that's the time when you most need to be relying on him and not yourself but that's not the only time it happens there are critical times happening in our lives all the time there are big things that are coming up and some of them we can't see on the horizon some of them they're like they're they're death and disease and all these kinds of things that are coming up and, and we can't even see them it is so critical that you're connected with Jesus during these times. Especially when, and it's hard, it gets hard. I'm not saying that it's easy. Especially when God doesn't give you the answer that you want. But are you poised? Are you up on your watchtower waiting? God, I don't know exactly what's happening. I don't exactly understand what's going on all around us, but I will live faithfully and I will trust you. I will seek your righteousness by by, by faithfully loving you. God is telling the the people of Israel through this, he's telling them, look, destruction is coming to the Babylonians. But be careful that you're not acting like the Babylonians. You and your life connected with Jesus. Maybe people in here in this room say, man, I really am, and that's why I'm here. And maybe there's somebody that's watching online on Facebook Live and they're having to ask themselves that question. Am I really connected with Jesus? Is he really the heart of everything that I do? Or am I really worshiping myself? God will not always give you the answer that you want, but it will always be the right answer and it will always be one time. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. God, for your faithfulness and how you continue to work. Even, God, we don't recognize all the things that you're doing, and sometimes we think that you're late or you're not paying attention or you you, you just dismiss us altogether. That's not the case. God, we know through your word you've told us that, that God, your, your, your end is coming and your justice will prevail. We have to trust in that. Now, I know that there's some hurting people in this place right now, and they're looking at their lives, and they're wondering, where are you? They're wondering how you could be in the midst of the devastation that's going on in their lives right now. God, they they may be looking at at being on the brink of death. Well, God, I pray that today they would look to the cross. They would look to the cross and say, nothing is finished until you say that it is finished. And even death, when it looked like death had won, you overcame death and you came to life to be real and to be alive and to be present in our lives. 
So Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, if they don't know the reality of that living, breathing Jesus that, come, that came to rescue us, God, I pray that they would know him today. Now for those that, that have strayed away from that, being really connected to him and his Holy Spirit, God, I pray, God, that they've been awakened today through your powerful word. God, thank you for your power and your grace and your might and your mercy. God, thank you for the answers that we don't have, that we have never had. God, thank you for what you're doing in our lives, even if it looks bad. I pray right now, God, that you're glorified as we just respond to you, as we say yes to you, as we live faithfully in accordance to how you would have us to live. We trust in your righteousness. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.